courage. I learned it from my adoptive mom. Hold my hand. You hold my hand. <laughs> Learn about adopting a team from foster care at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Fed minutes, data on inflation and retail sales, and the world's central bankers descend on Washington. This is the Money Beat Podcast, and this is your look at the week ahead. I'm Stephen Grosser. Joining me in the studio are Eric Holm and Chelsea Delaney. And from Washington is WSJ economics reporter Harriet Torrey. Welcome, Harriet. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm good. It seems like um, the Fed minutes are you know, <laughs> going to be closely watched this week just to get a sense of you know, how hawkish a mood the Fed uh, has right at the moment. Well, they did hold rates at their last meeting in September. And they have two more meetings to go this year. One is on the last day of October and the first day of November, and one is in December. In terms of their hawkishness, it's it's a really interesting question. I think that the minutes are going to be closely scrutinized over their discussion, especially surrounding core inflation. Janet Yellen has spoken since the September meeting. And she, to most observers, she has sounded somewhat more hawkish than usual. I mean, she made, she gave a speech in Cleveland recently, and she said that she was actually talking about the risks of um, keeping rates too low for too long, which to a lot of people sounded like kind of a quite a hawkish thing for her to say. So odds of a market, the market odds of a rate increase in December have now shot up and they're over 90%. So people are expecting that the Fed is probably going to move one more time for this year at the December meeting. So yeah, the, the minutes will definitely be uh, passed very closely for discussion on inflation. That's That seems to be sort of the big topic at, at the moment for the Fed right now. The other big thing that they're doing, of course, is working on reducing their balance sheet. Those will actually start to kick in in the coming days. So the discussion in the minutes will also probably centre quite closely around that, which will be interesting to get more of a look at sort of how they're thinking about it and what they might expect will happen. It's interesting. A lot seems to have happened since that September meeting, even though it wasn't really that long ago. And and the jobs report on Friday was sort of the last thing that seemed to really convince people. At some moment I saw there um, Friday morning, as people were still digesting the, the jobs report, that the CME features got up to 98% for a December rate hike. People seem pretty well convinced. And, and there's remain above 90% now. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely an interesting one. And I, uh, the jobs report is also an, uh, just yet another reminder of the disruption of, um, of the hurricanes that we've seen over the past few weeks. And that, of course, is something that will likely mess with inflation data. Um, it could cause spikes in um, things like gasoline prices. So it's going to be hard for the Fed. They're going to have to try and see through some of those temporary swings in, in inflation data when they're trying to sort of look at the path forward. It does seem like, you know, in the investment community, people think that there has been sort of a shift in, in the way the Fed is thinking about inflation recently. Like after the Fed meeting and, you know, the comments we've seen from Yellen and other Fed policymakers, it seems like the Fed is willing, more willing at this point to deal, accept, you know, weaker inflation. And so I think that's part of the reason why we've seen, you know, this rebound in the dollar and, you know, Treasury yields going higher because people think that inflation doesn't, that it's not that big of a deal for the Fed at this point. You're right. I mean, the Fed went from a long time saying inflation, like the factors keeping inflation low were transitory. And it felt like the Fed almost went, like kind of seemed flummoxed at the last meeting as to why inflation persisted being sort of stuck below its target range. We also get CPI data, you know, on Friday, right? On Friday, which did have a decent uptick in August, which the market sort of seized upon the August, I guess, a number that came out in September, the market seized upon and, and it helped actually, you saw a lot of, you know, sort of assets that are based on higher uh, rates and uh, treasuries and stuff like that get a bit of a bump. But as Harriet alluded to, there's going to be um, a lot of hurricane effects. Noise. <laughs> yeah, a lot of noise. 
But they do act some of that out, and it'll be the, the, the it'll be interesting to see if we get two strong readings in a relatively strong readings in a row. I guess. I guess, Harriet, what are we? What are you? You know, expecting from CPI on Friday? I mean, CPI will probably um, come in a bit stronger than um, than PCE has. Uh, we had PCE last week, and it was pretty disappointing. It was one point four, and CPI. But from some of the we, from some of the analyst notes I've I've been reading um, today, it looks like uh, core CPI will be much closer to two percent than that. Depending on the hurricane noise involved in that reading, it um, it should be a pretty encouraging number for the Fed, uh, definitely. Yeah. And another data point that we get next week is consumer sentiment on Friday, so that is looking like it's going to remain at a very high level. As well as retail sales on Friday, which I think last month were not that great. They um, might get a bit of boost from hurricane spending on um, things like autos and so on. So that'll be interesting to look at as well. There's a lot of hurricane, uh, hurricane-related stuff coming up over the next week. Definitely, Chelsea. Can you? Talk, I was going to ask, and sort of bring you in earlier too, to just to just talk about the reaction that dollar has had to all the focus on inflation and also on the uh, Fed rate rise, rate increase. Right. So I think I mean for most of this year we've seen, you know, a pretty steep decline in the dollar. And a lot of that was inflation. You know, people, investors were really concerned that, you know, the sluggishness we've seen with inflation would prevent the Fed from raising rates. And I think, you know, just this this past month in September, expectations did sort of start to shift after that Fed meeting, because a lot of people going into the Fed meeting had expected the Fed to cut its expectations for rate increases to, to lower the dot plots for this year and next year. And they didn't. And that was a big surprise to people in the market. And so I think, you know, people are starting to adjust to this idea that inflation is starting to turn higher. But the Fed, even if we get hurricane-induced noise on inflation data, the Fed does seem to want to hike rates this year again, which has led to a pretty significant dollar appreciation over the last month. The other big things I think people are going to be paying a lot more attention to this week is Jerome Powell is going to be speaking, um, I think, a couple of times. And given the fact that he was he's been interviewed by you know Donald Trump as possible succeeding Janet Yellen as the Fed chairman, how much focus are you know investors and Fed watchers going to be, be um, paying attention to what he says and his views on on rates, inflation, the economy? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they will be pay- paying very close attention. We'll be getting more news from the Fed on um, more clues from the Fed on what they're thinking about inflation and so on. And yes, of course, there is this um, ongoing story of who Donald. Trump is going to pick uh, for the next Fed chair. And he said last week it would be about three weeks. So next week could could be the week. It could be the week after. But this is definitely a huge story that has everyone on tenterhooks. Betting markets are putting odds on various different candidates. And Powell is, uh, is up there. Yeah. Is there anything he could say that would change the odds here, do you think? I mean, he he's generally voted in line with the, the the Fed consensus in terms of raising or not raising rates when it comes to that, right? I don't really know. I mean, perhaps if he was sort of trying to uh, make himself look more more appealing, he could talk about financial regulation. I think one thing that, that the Trump administration would be keen to have in their next Fed chair would be somebody who is um, open to cutting regulation in a, in a business-friendly way for banks. So um, perhaps if some of the candidates wanted to uh, make a last-ditch attempt, that would be a subject that they would uh, that they would weigh in on. Actually, now that you said that, it reminds me, I did see something from um, former Fed Governor Kocha Lakota that, that he was uh, writing on a, in a Bloomberg column saying that that actually is what would differentiate him from Yellen, is that he's more in the uh, Trump camp in, ter- in terms of 
thinking about bank regulation, thinking it should be a little looser. And Yellen has also sort of you know indicated she's open to be for looser bank regulation in recent uh, speeches as well. Interesting. And, you know, in the markets, people are trying to figure out how big of an impact a change in leadership would have on the central bank and the path for rate increases and all of that. I mean, how how important is it to, you know, the future of monetary policy in the U.S.? I mean, I think it's hugely important. Well, the Fed chair does have to rule by consensus. So a big part of the job is to build a consensus amongst the committee and to kind of get everyone pointed in the same direction, so to speak, on certain topics. But I think that the, 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 the position of Fed chair is, is hugely influential. So I think if someone, if Trump were to appoint someone with um, a slightly more hawkish, hawkish bent, then markets would have to readjust. And that could be something that could be slightly disruptive. Where does Powell sort of sit in that spectrum of hawkish and dovish? As Eric sort of alluded to, it seems like he's more in line with Yellen to some degree. Yes, although that could be just because of the role that he's held until uh-huh. now. I mean, governors do traditionally vote with the chair. It's very rare for a governor to dissent. I, I believe the last time it happened was was about was over four years ago. I mean, it, it's it is a rare it, it's a rare event. The governors sit in Washington; they're very close to the chair. Powell is is definitely a centrist at the Fed, um, and he has he has been supportive of Yellen. He has tended to sort of when he speaks publicly, he tends to sort of stick to the Fed's path and policy. He's not someone who is, is seen as... So, for instance, his colleague, Lael Brainerd, everyone, everyone knows that she t- takes a very particular position on inflation and that she right. is worried about inflation and that she would, you know, she has voiced concern about raising rates too quickly in order to sort of nurture the economic recovery and so on. It's hard to say with Powell. He's someone who hasn't really, he hasn't really express, expressed strong opinions. So Well, we might know more by the end of the week. Yeah, That is true, yeah. Um, and, and finally, I guess real quick, we, there are the central bankers from around the world are going to be descending on DC. What can we expect? We can expect a lot of a lot of news, a lot yeah. of speaking, yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of opinions, a lot of headlines, a lot of stories. Um, I mean, the IMF um, World Bank Spring meetings are always an interesting time of year. Everyone kind of gets together, um, and there will definitely be some. Uh, big shots from around the world. We have central bankers like ECB board members coming into town. So it'll be an interesting time to kind of hear everyone's thoughts on on the things that are going on in different corners of the world, particularly on subjects that are touching many advanced economies like low inflation and um, the steps that that they're taking to to combat it and so on. We are talking about this week's economic calendar, and you're listening to Money Beat from The Wall Street Journal. Courage. I learned it from my adoptive mom. Hold my hand. You hold my hand. (laughs) Learn about adopting a team from foster care at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by AdoptUSKids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. For more insights, enable the Wall Street Journal skill on any device with Amazon Alexa. Get all of our podcasts, as well as the latest news and market updates. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. Welcome back to the Money Bee Podcast. I'm joined in the studio now by with Aaron Lucchetti and Rachel Louise Ensign. You guys are here and you guys mean one thing. It is bank earnings season. This Friday, we have JP Morgan, I think Citigroup, right? They and do lead it off. Yes. On Thursday, I think I said Friday, that's Thursday. And then on Friday, we have Wells Fargo and Bank of America. So basically, the nation's biggest banks are all uh, on tap this week. What can we expect? The third quarter, we saw their shares at least get sort of whipsawed by uh, interest rates and expectations for where those were going. What can we what can we expect from their earnings, I guess? Yeah, it's been a it's been a pretty good quarter. We're 
very happy to be here. And, and Steve, we're, we're available all quarter, not just uh, in October for, for earnings. But I don't know if our listeners can take that much, you know, bank. Uh... <laughs> right. That's true. That's true. Taking doses. Uh, it's been a really interesting quarter for the, for the banks. I mean, rates have, um, you know, for part of the quarter, it looked like rates were going to stay stable or not go up. And now the economy's kind of turned to a point where people think it's pretty likely we'll see another interest rate increase. That's pretty good for the banks, although it's not all uh, a fabulous story, uh, despite JP Morgan hitting records, uh, you know, kind of day after day here in October. Yeah. I mean, I think this quarter, what we should look for, obviously, there's the trading figures. Uh, those seem like they're going to be pretty bad. Um, most of the big banks have signaled they're going to be down 15 percent, 20 percent. But that's something that's been expected for yeah. a while now. So it's probably baked into the analyst ex- expectations and also potentially the stock price. I mean, once again, I think the bank story is a rate story. And what we should look for is, are they paying their customers more in deposits? Are they getting more money on loans? Which basically, um, kind of the difference between those two is, are they making more money on lending? And um, if if they're not, I think there's a chance that we see investors think, well, maybe the promise of higher rates ha- has not really delivered. And, you know, it's it's been almost two years now since the Fed hike. So, yeah, the big wild card um, that we'll hear about from the banks on their earnings calls will be the prospect for tax reform. Uh, the sooner that happens, and if it does happen, that's that's good for the banks. It could spur a lot of activity. It's also probably good for the Wall Street parts of the banks and Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, because tax changes bring new opportunities, new consequences, different strategies, and they're usually in the middle of a lot of those um, changes for corporate uh, corporate fundraising and corporate uh, borrowing. Are we expecting them to comment much about you know sort of tax reform and just the regulatory environment? We got a little bit on the regulatory environment and you know in the second quarter from some of the CEOs, but are we expecting any more of that this quarter? I think you might find more uh, focused on tax reform because that's sort of top of mind. I mean, three months ago, a lot of the debate was on health care. Um, and other issues, and, and financial deregulation is sort of kind of an overhang in a good way for the for the banks. They want that to kind of continue. Some of that can happen without legislation. Um, we saw Randy Quarles uh, confirm this week that's a sort of step in in getting Trump's um, team in place on the financial side. So you probably will see more of it and hear more of it this quarter. Um, although probably more on the tax side because that's that's going to hit the banks. Uh, affect the banks sort of uh, directly and then sort of on a secondary effect with their clients. Yeah, I think there's a good chance that we might get some pretty concrete numbers from the banks on exactly how much more money they're going to be making um, if tax reform, as it seems like in the framework is going to happen, would affect them. That's some the kind of thing that the analysts are really going to press them on. And, you know, we have published some figures as to who's going to benefit, how much money they're going to make in the long term, how much money some of these banks are going to lose in the long term because um, of the way their balance sheets are structured. But you could see some pretty firm figures um, on on that this quarter, I think. Who do, you, who do we think is going to be the biggest winners from you know, tax reform? Well, it's, it, it really it depends on, on the details of the tax yeah. reform. One, one point to make on that is that Bank of America and Citigroup, because they have big deferred tax assets, uh, may be relative losers because that, that means that that huge sort of tax asset won't be as valuable if taxes come down and, and, and corporate tax rates come down. Um, the fact that they lost a lot of money during the crisis um, 
meant that they could sort of store up tax losses for the future. Uh, those would be less valuable for various reasons with taxes coming down. So they, they may not be as big of winners um, as, as the other banks. But other than that, they're, they're generally all, all win the same. But, but the devil's in the details on that type of thing. Um, on Thursday, we obviously had JP Morgan. That usually gives us a good view across pretty much the banking industry, the big banks. But it also gives us a view into the Wall Street banks. You alluded to this. People are not expecting great trading numbers. Is there anything else that sort of JP Morgan might you know, sort of shed light on in terms of the Wall Street side of the banks? Well, one thing we're keeping an eye on is the uh, – this will be the first quarter where the bank CEOs have come out after the Equifax hack, which affected 145 oh, million Americans. And, and the banks are very much affected by that because – Equifax comes into play and gets your data as a consumer because you want a loan from a bank or you want an auto loan or you want a mortgage. That's The banks work very closely with Equifax and its two peers, uh, TransUnion and Experian. And so, you know, Jamie Dimon talked a little bit about it uh, at some conferences after it broke, but it was very fresh. We know a lot more now. There have been four hearings with the ex-CEO of, of Equifax. And so the banks may say a little bit more about what they're going to do about it and also how big of an effect it might have on lending and uh, customers' desire to borrow money. Yeah. It's, and um, that that's going to be a really important metric here, loan growth. Um, Basically, since the election, loan growth has really declined pretty markedly. We've written about this. And the bankers have all sorts of explanations for this, but no one's really sure exactly why this is happening. Most likely, it's a number of reasons. So there are a bunch of headwinds, and it'll be really interesting to see if um, the Equifax situation, basically where many people froze their credit so that it would make it more difficult for them to take out a loan, take out a credit card easily without unfreezing it has been yet another headwind in addition to concern about what's going to happen with rates, staying on the sidelines. Um, those have all been factors in in this slowdown in loan growth that's actually been worse for the banks than um, I think anyone really thought. How much of that do you think is geopolitical uncertainty and, and headline risk? I mean, is that having an effect on borrowers? It's a good question. Um, I haven't really heard that cited as much. What I have heard is you know, a, an American business has to kind of figure out what their tax situation is going to be. So they're not going to make a big yeah. investment until they figure it out. They've been saying that for almost a year now. Um, but it, it does seem like a, a demand issue. Companies in particular are not taking out loans. They don't want loans, even though banks are really willing to give them to them. Yeah, one nice thing about the earnings this quarter, too, is that they sort of pair thematically. You have J.P. Morgan and Citigroup on Thursday, both very international, global. Uh, Bank of America and Wells Fargo on Friday. They're both very big in retail, Main Street banks, lots of branches. Uh, although B of A has a Wall Street business, of course, too, through Merrill. And then on Tuesday, after uh, a break, we'll have Morgan Stanley and Goldman. So we'll drill down into the to Wall Street. Uh, real quick, Equifax, obviously, you guys brought it up. Um, that's been you know in a few headlines and drawing a lot of attention. But cybersecurity has been a big focus for the banks and a big concern related to the banks. Is that going to be you know I think brought up by analysts and you know uh, investors on the calls? I mean, how much focus is going to be on what the banks are doing to protect um, themselves? I think that'll be a big focus. I think that. You know, the, the cybersecurity issue was really in the news when J.P. Morgan had its hack. I think there were about 70 million customers yeah. affected. That was about two years ago. Um, and since then, the banks have sort of shored up their, their security. But you're never sort of safe in this, in this day and age on a cyber uh, perspective. And so I think they'll get more questions on it. They may be 
you know, asked if they're spending more, boosting their spending on it, and what they're doing about weak links in the system. Because even though you know Equifax, you know, and TransUnion um, are different companies than J.P. Morgan and Bank of America, what what happens there affects their lending businesses pretty pretty directly and affects their customers very directly too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a topic that's quite sensitive for the banks, and I would expect to see them be pretty cautious in their remarks and just say things like. It's something we take very seriously, stuff like that. But I, I do think they are going to be kind of on, on the spot to provide a bit more information about what they knew about the Equifax hack, um, how they've reacted, whether any of their customers are at risk. So, you know, they, they may have to go a little bit beyond their typical caution. And with Wells Fargo, um, Tim Sloan was the, the CEO, was uh, in front of Congress um, last week. Senator Warren and yes, and, and Senator Warren gave him a lot of criticism. I think she called for his him to resign. Or um, how much is Wells Fargo still dealing with the fallout from that? You know, the scandal um, that you know broke. Uh, well, I guess over a little over a year ago now. Um, the short answer is a lot. I mean, I think in in the weeks and months after uh, Sloan's predecessor John Stump resigned because of the sales practice scandal. I think most people thought that it was an isolated but very serious event that Wells Fargo would probably dig out of and a year from that point would be sort of on the road to to getting back uh, to its stride. But other scandals have popped up. Other sales issues have popped up in mortgages and auto loans. Um, and it's it's sort of dogged them and they really haven't sort of gotten back to where they want to be. Yeah. It, yeah. It, um, it really has. And it's kind of really intriguing because they were the golden child of yeah. the big banks really after the crisis. And um, it's just changed so much in the last year. And in particular, I mean, Bank of America really had a lot of difficulties after the crisis. But now, you know, you have Warren Buffett, who recently became the biggest shareholder of both, praising profusely Brian Moynihan whenever he appears on TV and using a, a cockroach analogy to kind of discuss Wells Fargo. So wow. it's pretty interesting. And that's translating into their share price, right? I mean, they've been their share price has sort of been stagnant while the other banks have had a pretty good decent run this year. Yeah, they've underperformed since that 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 September 2016 uh, sales practice abuse revelation and it really it's interesting because they um, they had such a strong sales culture and for years other banks envied them because they were able to to kind of keep growing and and you know, they never really were in the spotlight. They avoided the big Wall Street businesses. So when Wall Street and, and traders and big, you know, high paychecks on Wall Street were very unpopular in the years after the crisis, not that they're popular now, but they were super unpopular in 2009, 10, 11. Wells Fargo was sitting in California without any of these businesses, and they just sort of, you know, raked it in. And now, that's the other side has kind of come around, and they're they're in the doghouse. Seems like it's been swinging between banks since the financial crisis. It was like Citi, Bank of America, and then it went to Goldman, Morgan Stanley. You know, took some heat for a while. Now it's Wells's turn. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. So, um, you know, since the the scandal happened, they had to come out and say we're doing these expense cutting measures, and one of them is closing branches, which is something that um, Bank of America did a lot of to kind of yeah. fix its own. Financial situation and in fact, you should all go read Rachel's great yes. story and Thank you. <laughs> in the journal a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, and so it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, they have by far the biggest footprint in terms of geography of of any of the of the big banks. So it'll be interesting to see kind of where they're closing, how those closures are 
playing out and um, whether that's going to be the answer for them to help fix their problems. I think that's a good place to end it. Thank you very much, Aaron Lucetti and Rachel Louise Ensign. Tune in next time. We'll be back.